That gets me every time. I swear I can't take the 15-year-old boy out of me sometimes. No comment. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> All right. I'd like to welcome you out to another episode of the Lodestone Training Consulting Podcast. I'm Jared Ross, and joining me today is... Abby Ross. All right, so it's going to be fun doing this with you. Usually I, I get stuck with Chris. But uh, yeah, this will be fun. I can, maybe I can poke fun at you a little bit. Yeah, or vice versa. Anyways, uh, let's get down to the 306090. Uh, so coming up June 12th, it's a seminar here at uh, LTAC HQ. We're going to be doing an uh, introduction to night vision devices. So if you're interested about night vision, uh, nods, thermals, and anything of that sort, um, it's a good informative seminar. You come, you can learn all about it and, and see what's right for you. If if it if it is right for you, see what kind of options are out there. Um, so it's a very good informative seminar. July twenty fourth, we have our anti abduction workshop. This is almost a full day of uh, of information with this workshop. We talk about all, all kinds of stuff intellectually, things that you know need to know, need need to look out for, how to plan for things. But then also we get into some some physical things, how to break from. Uh, well, you took it. Why don't you tell us about uh, yeah, it? Yeah, how to break from uh, zip ties, rope, different stuff. Well, not not rope, but uh, yeah, zip ties and different maneuvers and things to get out of restraints. Mm-hmm. When you took it, it was, uh, it was a big group of women, wasn't it? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So then uh, that's we'll be taught by Chris, and then August nineteenth through twentieth, up at uh, the Lebanon. County Police Combat Pistol Club. We're going to be doing our two-day pistol vehicle combatives class. So this starts about uh, noonish each day, and we do a lot of shooting in and around vehicles. Shoot, you spend so much of your time in vehicles, it, it pays to train in and around them. And then both of them go in, into the night. So then we do a lot of uh, night fire as well from the cars. So we, we do a good uh, vehicle lab. So you can, you know, be shooting the cars, shooting in the cars, shooting out, out through the cars. All sorts of stuff, all in and around the car. It's it's designed for you to have that experience, become well informed, and then know the capabilities and things you can and you can't do, and in and around vehicles. It's one of our level three classes, and it's uh, it's always a good time, very good informative time. And like I said, half of it's during the day; the other half of it is is at night. All right. Also for this month, for our our book club, we're reading. The Daybreakers by Louis L'Amour. So we're so busy this month. I think counting today, we have three free days uh, this month. We're teaching classes uh, throughout. So we picked something that was a quick and easy read for us. Um, but it's a, it's a good book, um, very fast read, but a lot of good ideas and principles and, and themes in that book. And then if you want to join the book club, Go ahead and sign up for a newsletter. Then the day before we uh, review it, and I think we're doing it on—is it the thirtieth, whatever that Sunday I is? I think it's the last Sunday in May. That, yeah, that evening. Then uh, we'll send out uh, an email link to you so you can join the the WebEx. Then we have a big WebEx uh, discussion. And even if you haven't read the book, it's still worthwhile to to sit in and listen and participate. Yeah, definitely. We had a couple new guys come uh, last month that hadn't read it, but definitely. I think they added to the discussion, and mm-hmm. hopefully they'll read the book this month and come again. Right on. Right, so to start with this podcast, I wanted to quickly review what we've done this past week. So we just did our five-day CEFAWIC, and that stands for Special Forces Advanced Urban Combat uh, Flat Range. 
So this, this past week, and this is the sec- second time we've done it, uh, this five-day course is based off of, of cephalic. As a lot of you know, I had been an instructor for 20th Group for their cephalic for a couple of years, and then there were a few times I was actually the NCIC in charge of running the flat range, as well as I really helped out and did a lot with the force on force that they ran there. So this week, we really replicate that. Uh, we shoot the same basic drills, and it's really um, it's beginning the mastery of, of shooting a pistol and, and shooting a rifle. So we had a very good mix of students. We, we capped the class at 10 uh, because we want to make sure everybody gets uh, the most attention that they can between all the instructors. So we want to make sure that we can maximize the teacher-to-student ratio so, like I said, students can get the most out of this class. And even with the ammo crunch and with you know, the problems with COVID and, and all that kind of stuff, we still we filled up the class um, last year. And then as uh, it has a very high round count of approximately 2,000 rounds of rifle and about 800 rounds of pistol for this class. And even when people um, contacted us and said that they couldn't make it because of, you know, they just couldn't get the ammo, as soon as one person was out, there was somebody waiting in the wings to jump in into this class. Um, and we already have it set up for, uh, do you remember the class dates are for next year? It's like uh, the same time frame. I think it's like a week later in May. It's like the third week in May of next yeah. year. And we already had a first person sign up yeah, for it we, for next year. Yeah, we do. Um, so the first day is, is all focused on on pistol. And uh, a lot of drills that, that, that students have already been familiar with, they've already seen. Um, but it's just that good repetition and focus on the fundamentals and basics. That's really what, what we do that first day. We get into some, some advanced shooting near the end of the day. And then uh, Tuesday, again, is all, all rifle. We talk through how to zero, proper way to zero, get the weapons zeroed. And then, again, with same kind of foundational drills, getting them to learn how to run and manage the guns, starting with high ready or low ready positions. And then at the conclusion of, of that day, we, we get into some medium level maybe some you maybe you'd consider some advanced level drills but really it's those two days combined with that foundation that lays it out for the rest of the week so wednesday is when we really start putting the gas on and giving students problems for them to solve that uh you know they a lot of stuff is being revealed as they were having failures and then that that evening we get into shooting under white light and for some of the students that have already done them before, but some of the others that, that attended, um, yeah, that was a first for them. And one of the overall themes that we kept getting from, from students, whether they were super experienced or, uh, you know, this is the first time they've done anything like this, was they were just amazed at how, uh, how we encouraged them and how they pushed themselves and, and how often they did fail. And it was through failing, through, through not mastering those drills and through making mistakes, that's where the real learning uh, occurred. And it's really cool to see you know, they would catch themselves, oh, I, I didn't do that correctly. And before the, myself, Chris, or any other instructors could see or, or make any corrections, they'd already caught to themselves. And that's really, I guess, what we're trying to do with this class. I kept, we kept saying one of the recurring themes of the week is we're teaching you how to play chess, not checkers. You, know, you can teach a monkey how to pull a trigger. That's not what we're doing. You can, you know, you can fill in yourself doing the draw and you know, 1.6 seconds and think you're accomplishing something, hey, that's great, but, but that's, that's mindless. We're trying to teach people to think and to work through these problems. Uh, Thursday, we got even more demanding of them with more uh, exact shooting, with a lot more uh, you know, techniques and, and more, uh, 
more problems for them to solve. The individual shooter solution doesn't make sense for me to transition to my pistol at this distance, or does it make sense and is it better for me to go ahead and, and reload my rifle and get my rifle back up? We had all kinds of different stations. We, that's when we also set up all, with um, the mobile shoot house and the mobile uh, uh, rooms that we have. We, we set them up so then given them different problems of shoot, no shoot targets, how to approach it, high, low, how to pie, how to use, utilize barricades. When did it make sense to actually utilize the barricade to stabilize your shooting platform? And when didn't it? When did you need to get space off of that? Um, just a really great day on Thursday. Then we finish up Thursday with going into the night, using night vision, using lasers, teaching techniques to, to use your night vision with pistols, um, all sorts of, of good stuff that, that, uh, that we ran. And then Friday, some, we finally got to CTEs, critical task evaluations. We did some shooting then, some fam fires, had them uh, with the pro mask uh, stage. And then uh, after everything was all said and done, around 3.30, that's when we started the stress shoot. And uh, what, you were there for that. You were helping yeah. manage some of that. So uh, did the students look a little stressed when they were shooting? Uh, yeah, some of them, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. It's funny how... Uh, um, all the different things that we do, not just physically exert themselves, but mess with them mentally to get them to, you know, try to think through when, when they're feeling that monkey on their back. But the overall experience, again, uh, just like last year, was, was phenomenal. It quite honestly might have been the absolute best class that, that we've ever taught. And to see the growth in the students from, from the first day through the end, I mean, even, even with some of them making some, some big mistakes and not... You know, not figuring stuff out at first, but working through it, uh, that growth was phenomenal. I quite often tell students that the day I switched from being a an okay shooter to a good shooter was the day that I could make a mistake and just breathe in, breathe out, and just forget about it and, and drive on and not, like, allow that uh, that stress to build and not to get so frustrated that I, I couldn't perform. Yeah, and I haven't taken that full class um, but having kind of been on the periphery and seen and heard some of the things the students have said, I think there's um, uh, a progression. You know, sometimes when students take the three-day class, you can see that progression. But taking this five-day class, it's it's a longer time period. It's like an immersion class mm -hmm. where it's hard for, for civilians sometimes to be able to take that time off or to, you know, spend that money. Uh, but, but I think it's worth it because it is like – you don't leave in the middle of something, learning something to go back to your real life, to kind of come back to it three, six, three, six, nine months later or whatever, where you're doing that. And it's just a progression back to back to back to back. So there's more of a learning curve that happens there. Yeah. We have a uh, one student who, who thinks every time we do this podcast, we're talking just about him. He, he even uh, said that, you know, he should start, you know, his name should be said he, as one of the underwriters for this podcast because he, he feels we talk about him all the time. But uh, in this case, I am talking about him. Um, he's, a, he's a training junkie. He has spent a lot of time with us on the range as well as a lot of other people, which, you know, that, that's good. You shouldn't just stick with one person or one company. You should go around so you'll be more well-rounded. But anyways, uh, this guy who's been training for years, he's got a lot of good equipment, and he, he is really good. He just kept saying throughout the week, this is very humbling. This, this is humbling. Uh, and I think it was one of the best weeks for him because he didn't go. He's gone to some places, other other, play, other 
times where it seems like uh, he, his ego is just getting stroked. Oh, you're the greatest in the world, or you know. But but no, here he pushed himself, and he he had to keep working and keep working, keep working, and and learning and growing because he he wasn't he wasn't perfect. Yeah. And uh, you know that's really good for for all of us. Anyways, it, it was a great class, very good class. Can't wait to do it again. Um, like I I honestly think it's probably the as far as firearms training, it's probably the best course that we offer um one of the reasons why i wanted you here abby is uh it got me thinking we had our our youngest son he was out there um most of this week he missed one day uh, but he he was there for four days and he was just working hanging targets uh, waiting on the sidelines to you know do this do that and uh i got a couple of uh, compliments on how good of a young man he is how good of a boy he is how hard of a worker he is Mm -hmm. um and then the last day, some of our kids, well, a lot of our kids came, and they were helping to, to set up some of the, you know, helped construct some of the um, stress chute. And then also, as soon as everything was done, they jumped in and were, were picking up brass and stuff. And, and more than one person, and this this happens a lot, uh, more than one person came up afterwards like, you've got some good kids. And, and I'm really impressed how the older ones were, were looking out for and were watching it and mentoring the, the younger ones and everyone was working together and it was just such a good harmonious group and uh and and other such things if you anyone say anything to you oh no one said anything to me oh, okay no. <laughs> well you're you're scary maybe yeah maybe. i know <laughs> but uh anyways so i just thought that you know let's take some time in all humility um and bring you in here and, and let's talk about some of the things that we we have done and some of the things that we've you know, some of our decision-making process with, with raising our kids. Okay. So uh, when did uh, when did we first start thinking about having kids? Uh, before we were married. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And uh, I, I remember that very pointedly. Once we realized that we were going to get married, children was like the very next uh, top of a conversation. Next conversation, yeah. yeah. And do you remember what that was like? Um. You know, I think we both had already kind of had in our heads individually that we would like a larger family. You know, both you and I come from larger families, and uh, I think that's something we both wanted. So, I do remember more pointedly having the conversation. It wasn't even a conversation where you're like, we're going to homeschool our kids. <laughs> I was like, um, it's good that you're telling me now. Uh-huh. We get used to that idea. Yeah, I... After my experience as a kid in, in, in school, forget about it. There's no way I would allow anyone that I love into that kind of environment. And that was, shoot, that was you know, late 80s, and I graduated, I think, in 93. You know, So that was quite a while ago. And even then, the environment was, was horrible. I mean, here, here's an example of the hypocrisy that I saw. Uh, the, the school that I went to, the high school I went to, the principal, and I forget his name, who, who cares? But he was, he became the the national president of the principals, I don't know, organization, guild, whatever you want to call it. You know, I, I don't know. You know, so he was like this, you know, yay for him because he's the man. And I remember at the time, now this was in 90, probably 91, 92, 93, somewhere around there. Um, one of his big pushes is look how progressive we are. And I remember being in school and he would lead processions of people to show how progressive we were as a school because we were the first school district in in Lancaster County who we had 
trash cans and recycling bins in each and every one of our classes. And he would bring people to see. And then all the students, we knew what would happen because we were there after school. And the janitor would come by and they would take the trash and dump it in his bigger trash can. Then you take the recycling bin and dump it in his bigger trash trash bag and, you know, all went to the same place. But just, and that's just an example of the stupidity and the hypocrisy and that, you know, it's all about the image and whatever. And plus their, their agenda, even then they are pushing that their left-wing agenda. And I just didn't want my kids brainwashed or, or in that kind of a hostile environment. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, we're going to homeschool. <laughs> Thank goodness, because now it's like a million times worse. And, and that's not something I ever really considered before that conversation. And I was, you know, thought about it. And was like, okay, we can, I think we can manage to do that. You know, five, six years from now, maybe I'll figure it out. I'm still figuring it out. <laughs> <laughs> but as, you know, as our kids ha- are getting older and, uh, I definitely am so grateful for, because I think that it changed the, or not changed, but it um, formed our family culture, mm-hmm. having our kids at home with us instead of um, at school all day long. Well, you know, I do want to talk a little bit more about that because cause you're right. That is a big part of, of our fam- family culture. And I think while, uh, and why our, our kids are are who they are. Mm-hmm. And why they're so well behaved, and why they work well together, but let's. Uh, I think one of the very first conversations we had was, how are we going to discipline our kids? Mm-hmm. What What are we going to do? And you remember those conversations? Not specifically. No. no. <laughs> okay. Well, what was one of the things that we came out of that? Was uh, how we're we going to be unified? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Uh, one of the one of the things that we. Uh, decided on doing pretty early on i don't know if this was before we had kids or after we had kids and started like bumping up against this issue um but if a kid came to us and asked us if they could do something or have something that um if the other parent had already given an answer then that was the answer and so we we had we were unified in that like so if even if i disagreed if you already yes, said no then, yes. then the answer is no yeah yes. i, I recall i forget where we were at we weren't married yet but we were like sitting at at some park sitting on some big rocks there was even like a a river or stream by and we were having this conversation okay and i don't think i I told you at the time i don't think i've ever told you but one of my big reasons for that and so adamant we need to be unified is because i think i played my parents as a kid (laughs) all the time ask mom no go to dad Okay. Well, oh, there you go. Yeah. And yeah, that's that's horrible. But that was one thing. I think the single most important thing with our marriage and raising our children and everything is for you and I to be as unified as possible. If you and I can stay unified, then there's nothing that we can't accomplish. Yeah. And I think that that's one of the problems that a, a, a lot of people have is for whatever reason um, – they're not as unified as they could be. And, and I think something that we decided on and discussed probably before we were married or very early on in our marriage, and I think has an effect on our marriage, which has an effect on our children, is that divorce was never an option. We decided, you know, I don't know how many people go into a marriage thinking that divorce is an option, but I think some people might. 
Like this isn't, you know, th- there's always that back door that they can get out of that relationship. Um, but we decided very early on that we're, we're stuck. <laughs> You're stuck with me. We're stuck. We're going to, you know, that. So <laughs> I remember your one brother right before we got married. It might even been the wedding day. Do you know what you're doing? Do you know what you're getting into? <laughs> it's too late now. <laughs> no, that's that, that that's spot on. That That's absolutely right. Um, and, and that has just translated so many times. To, I'm just just thinking of one time I was deployed. And I don't know what was going on in this guy's life, but uh, out of the blue, he like looked at me. You're so lucky. Like, what do you mean? Well, you're you're so lucky because of the relationship you have with your wife, because you know she's always going to be there and that she's loyal. And mm-hmm. and just one of those. I I don't want to. I don't want to ask that follow up question. I feel sorry for whatever it is that, that you're going through. Um, but that's the thing. And and some of the things I know that we've done. To, to stay unified is is we have conversations. And sometimes, especially when we first married, those conversations were hard yeah. because you didn't want to talk and, uh, and and maybe I was talking too much. And we just, you working so you could open up and me having patience just to sit there because, you know, my job isn't to, to tell your opinion. My job is to, just to patiently and lovingly be quiet and, and wait until you, you can talk. Yeah, and that's something that I learned in our marriage is really opening up and really talking about what I'm feeling and really processing things verbally. Mm -hmm. And that's something too, that there are some of our kids that we've had to be patient with because they have those same tendencies to just bottle it up and not talk about it. And so, you know, in, in our relationship, we've learned things and in so doing, we can then teach those things to our children and help them to move quickly or quicklier. That's not a word. Sure it is. Move more if, quickly. If I can say containerize, <laughs> quicklier is a real word. So that they can move beyond those problems that we've had more quickly because we have that experience to say, I've had that same issue and mm-hmm. this is how we can move past it. Mm-hmm. And it, some of those conversations we had too before we were married that are really important, at least important to me, was, you know, we, we talked about our feelings, our beliefs, our testimonies in, in God, um, some things that we wanted to, to make a part of our, our family, our marriage. Mm-hmm. And we decided early on that, you know, prayer was important. We were going to pray together. Reading yeah. the scriptures was important. We were going to make it a point to read scriptures together. Uh, being active in, in church was important. Um, other things that was important, having firearms and learning how to protect ourselves, and, and that was important trying to be as self-reliant as possible and working towards, uh, you know, being self-reliant, having a food storage, learning how to, to garden, all sorts of things like that were, you know, were important. And uh, it's still a, a work in progress. You know, we're still working towards those same goals now almost, goodness, 20 almost years. 20 years. Almost 20 years in. Um, so I, I think the important thing is those are some examples of goals that we had that we still have and that we're still working towards. I don't, I doubt that we'll ever, you know, we're not going to reach any kind of conclusion or, or perfection, at least not in this life. Yeah. But uh, those things really have helped us stay, uh, stay grounded and, and stay unified together. Uh, I was just thinking as you were talking, well, like this conversation was supposed to be about, kid, about kids and now we're like totally veering off. But I don't think that we have because I think that uh, the relationship between a husband and a wife goes a long way, mm-hmm. a long way towards um, 
te- teaching your kids? Well, where my where I want this conversation to end up, and the whole point of this is, all of my deployments, all my gunfights, all of those experiences. That's just practice for the potential for it being real one day, where I have to protect my family. Yeah. Um, everything is 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 for my family. Us having our our kids around firearms, teaching them how to learn firearms, um, you doing what you're doing with firearms and with food storage and everything that we do, it's all practice and preparation so that we can mutually support each other when things really do, if things really do, but when things really do get bad, it's all, you know, that's all practice and preparation for. So us having this conversation about our unity and us being parents and mm-hmm. In our marriage, that's just the foundation we have, you know, the way we need to establish before we can even get to our kids. And, you know, maybe, maybe that's the problem that, um, that some people have is they get into that relationship and they truly honestly love each other and they truly honestly want the best for each other. But if they don't have this kind of a conversation beforehand, if they don't lay some kind of foundation, then, then when problems arise and when hardships come, then it's just so much easier to to give up on that instead of being able to lean and stand with each other. Yeah. Wow, this is getting really preachy. <laughs> <laughs> so right now, right now, half the listeners are like, forget this crap. I'll, I'll follow next week. The other half is, this is the best one ever. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, let's talk about kids. So... Uh, I did the, you know, this is how cool I am. You get pregnant, and then I'm, peace, I'm out. And I, I yeah, take off <laughs> take off and, and abandon you to, to go play in Afghanistan. So you dealt with the majority of the that first pregnancy with our twins, um, you know. By myself. By yourself, yeah. yeah. So how did you feel about me then? Oh, I didn't feel <laughs> bad about, I mean, I wasn't yeah. angry at you. Honestly, there were some times where I was pretty angry at the situation, but not necessarily at you, mm-hmm. you know. It was a decision that we both made to go into the army, and uh, so I wasn't angry at you. I was just angry at the situation. Yeah, the first time I saw our twins was that video call. Video call, yeah, yeah. and that that was it. And how old were they? Like two and a half months? They, no, no, no. Were they, they younger, were, older? I think they were nine or ten days old for that video call. Oh, really? That's. Oh, I thought it was later than that. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Really? You, you came home and they were they were about two and a half months when you came okay. home. Okay. Yeah. But we had to sit through. They made us sit through a seminar from some guy that wrote some marriage book or something. <laughs> we had to sit through a, a, like, a listen to uh-huh. before we could do the video call. It was like prerequisite. <laughs> so and then, yeah, I just well, remember. That was back in the day with our first deployment. Yeah. When... I could call you and talk to you once a, week once a week for 15 minutes on a satellite phone. And it was usually about 2 a.m. Uh-huh, yeah. My time. Yeah. yeah. Contrast yeah. that to what the last one I did. We were FaceTiming <laughs> every day. It was so spoiled. Those little girls, they, they have no idea. Yeah. Anyways, um, so yeah, I remember that. And I remember, it wasn't it uh, Enoch who like, oh, I remember going to a hospital and seeing you like on the TV screen far away. Did he say that? Yeah, yeah he said oh, that. Oh, I don't remember. Yeah. That. Yeah, he was, they were, I I think they were nine or ten days old. And they were still small enough that, like, once we got in there, like, my mom came with me because mm-hmm. uh, she was still there helping. And uh, just to, like, make it easier, we had them in their car seats. We put them both in one car seat 
so I could take them into the video gotcha. call and put them yeah. up on the little table so you could see them at the, <laughs> during the video call. I remember the first thing you said was, they're moving. <laughs> I'm sure that must have been kind of weird. Yeah, it was. Surreal seeing your, totally your boys over a video call for the first time. Yeah, it was. Well, one thing that I, I wanted to, as I was thinking about this podcast, I wanted to bring out that I learned right away um, with them. Well, after I got home, it, it was, to me, they, they were like, you know, babies, right? The little kids. I didn't consider them having personalities. I didn't know mm-hmm. that, that they were different. It was just, they, they were kind of there and, um, you know, interacted with them and everything. But it really struck me, they were what, probably 12, 12 months old, a year, maybe just a little over a year when, uh, when, um, our friend Michael took us out to that hibachi restaurant. Probably about a year old. Yeah. yeah probably about a year. So it was our friend, Abby and I, and then our, our twins who were there. And uh, at this hibachi place. So then when the guy threw the oil down and he lit it on fire, how immediately one, like, cowered back in fear and wanted to go get away from the flames, where the other one was, like, going right into it. Like, that was like the coolest thing in the world. In. Yeah, wanted to, like, hug the fire. It's like, oh, they're, they are very different. And, and they were completely different personalities. And, and I think we kind of got a, a, I don't know, a cheat code there at the beginning because we had twins at the beginning where I think you don't always realize that – your kids are like really individuals until you have a second kid and you're like, this kid is completely different. Yeah. But we kind of cheated where we had two at the same time and we're like, they're completely different. I remember um, the first night in the hospital, my mom stayed with me in the hospital and she wanted me to sleep, right? You know, my mom has seven kids. So she knows all about, Mm -hmm. you know, newborns. And, uh, she spent the whole night trying to keep them like settled so that I could sleep and rest except when they needed to eat. And, uh, sometime around sunrise, she would, you know, one would cry. She'd put him down. I guess it was Ezra would cry when Enoch wasn't next to him. And Enoch would cry if he wasn't being held. <laughs> and so she just all night was back and forth, back and forth. And finally realized at, at about sunrise, Oh, if I just hold both of them at the same time, everyone's happy. <laughs> and, you know, just laying there, you know, in the seat with both babies who finally settled down because they both had what they wanted. Funny. But that is very true. We did we did cheat. We were able to to figure that out. You know, right away. They're, they're yeah. completely different people. So, um I guess with raising them when, when they were little, some of the things that we did is treated them as individuals and yeah. we treated them um and we still treat our, our children uh as as individuals but also i don't want to say many adults because that's not the right way but but we've never pampered them oh well, never, never babied it, them it, it's hard to like we we talked about this before and i've tried to think of how to express this um because it's difficult to express because children are children and obviously they're developing they're learning um, and you can't really treat a child as an adult because you can't. They're not adults. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that you need to treat your children that they're a person. They're an individual. They're a human being. Just like you are, just like I am. And the only difference between them and us is time. We've had more time. We've learned more things. We have more experience. We've developed. And... That, that's the only difference. 
is they're further back in their journey. And so it's our responsibility to use our time that we've had, our experience that we've had, the things that we've learned to be able to help them so that they can learn and grow and experience things. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think of my own parents, and uh, we've had this conversation too. Uh, when I was a child, they did a lot of things right. They did a lot of things wrong. And one of the things that I did is like, okay, I, that was great. I want to replicate that. I want to yeah. do that same thing with my kids. Hey, that was wrong. That was that was an incorrect decision my parents made in, in trying to teach or mentor or raise or discipline. So I'm going to make sure not to do that. Yeah. And, and look at it that way, not not in a way of like blaming my parents. All my all my problems are because my parents were horrible or, or whatever. No, I need to take responsibility for me. But taking those both those good and those bad experiences or those you know correct decisions incorrect decisions yeah. to formulate how I'm going to teach and, and raise my kids and and I think learning from their experience not necessarily reacting from it yeah. because I think that at least for me um, doing the same thing instead of like learning from something that my parents did I reacted to something that my parents did and I think I swung too far the other direction mm-hmm. in, in in relationship to one of our kids. And that's one of the things that now I wish I had done differently. So one of the major things that we discussed um, before we were married, after we got married, then after we had kids, and especially when, when our youngest were, were still infants, is how do we teach? How do we discipline? Um, and I think that, well, not I think, I know that both of us are, are pretty um, unified when it says, you know, if that's it, that's it. There's there's really no bending. Yeah, um, we talked about um, meaning what you say and saying what you mean. Um, so in, in in disciplining that there have to it has to be consequences for actions, whether it's good consequences or bad consequences mm-hmm. for your actions. And um, something that we've we've done and we've tried to do is let our kids know what the consequences are. And then following through, like when they're little, right? You know, if you don't stop, you know, pouring cereal out on the floor, then you're going to put your nose in the corner, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if they do it, then they have to put their nose in the corner. You can't be like, oh, it's okay this time. Yeah, I really mean it next time. Yeah. Then that kid is going to know that you're a joke and they're going to they're gonna ride all over you. Yeah. Another thing, too, it, along with that is, it's like you said, say what you mean. So... If I tell a child, you do that again, your nose is going to the corner. You do that again, you're going to get a swat. Do that again, here's the consequences. You need to mean that. Um, so when you say, like, you do it again, I'm going to kill you. Well, yeah, that doesn't fly. That doesn't fly because obviously I, I'm, I'm not going to kill my child and my child knows that. So now what I'm teaching my child is you're just making stuff up and you don't really mean what you say, so whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Now – once you've established that and your kids know that you mean what you say, you can joke with them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you can. Once they get a little older and they understand that. But but when they're little, they have to understand that what go, what goes and what doesn't go. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of children, they want that boundary. They're, they're, they're going to push and push and push until there's finally, hey, this is the line that's been established. Yeah, like this whole thing with I, I need my safe space, right? That's That's garbage. But people do need security. Kids need to feel secure. And that's one of the ways that they can truly feel secure. Not that someone's not going to hurt their feelings, but like, oh, my parents love me. I can do this 
But beyond that, there's bad things that are going to happen, mm-hmm. and my parents aren't going to allow me to do that because they love me. Exactly. Honestly, the parent that loves their child is for really really loves them is the parent that's going to hold them accountable. Is the parent that's going to say, "These are the consequences. You can choose to do it or choose not to do it. Oh, you chose to do it. Well, your nose is going in the corner, or you are going to get a SWAT, or." or whatever it might be. And, and, you know, you're saying choose, and that's another thing that we've we've incorporated a lot into teaching our kids discipline is they have a choice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is the consequence if you choose this, this is the consequence if you choose that, but it's up to you to choose what you want to do. Yes. Sometimes the choice is obvious. You know, sometimes we're creating that, choice and those consequences so that they can learn from that but they're still given that that option and every once in a while well i'm thinking of a specific uh, instance we were very firm with this is your bedtime whatever it is six thirty, seven o'clock eight o'clock whatever this is your bedtime and uh you need to go to bed and there was some some fun with with the twins, especially when they were getting, you know, like four or five years old, six years old. Wrapped in sleeping bags, wiggling down the hallway to try to watch TV <laughs> with us. Trying to low crawl, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that was looking down that hallway. And, oh, there's a blanket in the middle of the hallway. How do you get there? It's not moving, though. But when I turn my back, it, it inches closer and closer. <laughs> <laughs> Got to give him credit for that. Yeah. Uh, exactly. It's hard to do this, you know, think about this without contrast and comparison. Just thinking of, of my one sister, yeah, and her, her children who are roughly the same age as as, as our kids, and how their way of parenting was. Oh, you broke something. Oh, you're so creative. Oh, thank you for whatever you know. Breaking the, uh, they broke. What was it? My uh, a stereo. Yeah, stereo. Oh, you broke your uncle's stereo. Thank you for your creativity. Yay. Yeah, and I think that's. That's too. You need the consequences that you set for your kids need to be realistic. You, your job as a parent is to prepare them for the real world. So you need to prepare them that if they make dumb choices, bad things are going to happen mm-hmm. out in the real world. Um, you know, if they're 35 and they break, you know, run into somebody's car, no one's going to say, thank you. That was lovely. Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's not, it's unrealistic. So, so along with, Helping prepare them for the real world and, and real consequences. Um, how old were, were our children when we started? Like, I know at five, when they're five years old, that's when I got them each a BB gun. Yeah. That that's the rite of passage. Now we have one more who's almost five, and she's going to get her own BB gun. So that's when we started the, teaching them the basics of firearm safety with that BB gun as the model, and then also yeah. some of the, you know, how to shoot with marksmanship, just like my grandpa when he got me a BB gun when I was five. But along with that, um, one thing that we, we've done, too, and I, I have really encouraged you to do, and that's the, to give them chores, to give them responsibilities to help build that. Because um, I've seen, as the oldest child in my my family, um, I was too selfish at the time, and I didn't realize what was going on. But in hindsight, I see it. I, I didn't help out my mother as much. So a lot of stuff, all the chores and everything seemed to be my mother just taking all that on and doing cleaning up after everybody and doing yeah. everything. And it's not fair to her. And with me being active duty, being SF, deploying all the time, training all the time, I knew I wouldn't be there you know, nearly as much. So I wanted to make sure that 
that burden is passed on to, you know, to our kids. So you're not overburdened. So, and, and, you know, we have, and I'm sure every, you know, a lot of families have systems, Mm -hmm. especially I think large families have like systems and, uh, ours started off where I would be losing my mind because I had three or four kids trying to help me cook in the kitchen at one time. And, uh, and so I decided we're going to take turns and made a chart and then, you know, added some other chores to the chart. And that's where we started. Now we've got this monstrosity that's like more complex than it probably ever needed to be. <laughs> but, um, but our kids know how to work and mm-hmm. our kids know that. How, how old's T? 10. Well, she'll be 10 next month. Okay. So she's nine. She, so yeah. every one of our children. From nine, her on up. Nine on up. They do. I, the only laundry that I do is my own laundry. And the two littlest girls, and yours. <laughs> so what are you trying to say? N- nothing. See, see, right there, I'll blame my mom, right? Remember That's earlier right. when I said, no, it's my mom's <laughs> fault that I'm not doing that laundry. Yeah. I, I've done laundry since we've been married. I can probably count it on, like, both hands okay. a number of times, right? <laughs> but but that teaching them that responsibility and having them, and that's not just laundry, it's cooking, it's yeah, everything. Cooking, that, like, and they do. And, you know, we have our chart that's kind of like our chores for the house. But then there, there's other stuff, too. Um, yard work. And they'll, you know, we we got chickens last year. And I hardly do anything with the chickens. I don't feed them. I don't water them. I don't clean them. The kids do it. So, you know, they, they've learned to work. And they, they're good at it. They learned that it's it's part of, you know, working as a whole. Hmm. One of the consequences of all that work is uh, how often are they, they playing uh, Nintendo or Sega or Xbox well, or, or well, if PlayStation? They, if they had one. Oh. 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 <laughs> that was one of the other things that was like, that was for me. We grew up without any video games in our house. And uh, that was... So that was something that I brought into the marriage. Not that it matters at this point anyway. Like, everybody has computers and laptops for school and junk. And some of the phones, yeah. Yeah, but I'm sticking to my guns. That's right. Well, that's a lot of wasted time that never took place in, in our house. Yeah. So yeah, it gave them more time to, I guess, poke fun at each other and, and pick on each other and uh, and do those chores, do laundry and do stuff. Yeah. But still, I, I've tried. tried a couple times. Maybe, <laughs> maybe Santa Claus will... Uh, will... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then I get the look I'm getting right now. Santa Claus ain't bringing anything here. Or Mrs. Claus is going away. Uh-huh. Uh, awesome. So we've in- instilled and we've tried to teach them that responsibility, that you need to take care of yourself. You need to govern yourself. One of the biggest regrets that I have is, I guess regret's probably not the right word, but just that's sad is, Times are different than when I was a kid. When I was little, um, I specifically remember when I was in Casper, Wyoming, I was like eight or nine years old, and my mom allowed me to take my two little sisters, and we went walking around the neighborhood, and we walked probably like a quarter, maybe half a mile away to this huge hill. We walked up on the hill on the other side of the hill, and we would do that often and just go off by ourselves. Um, Maybe it was safer then than what it is now, and that's one thing that we really wanted. We wanted our kids to learn that independence and to go. It was just kind of hard in this day and age to do that. We specifically bought a home when we moved to Fort Campbell that was off of Fort Campbell, so it wasn't on post. 
we bought the home and it had a little under two acres and yeah. the backyard turned into some woods which then um went onto somebody else's property that was woods and some farmland so we were able to encourage them to go out there and run around and and play and be kids go break arms and legs and, and yeah. stuff so we try to give them that dose of independence yeah definitely and I think, too, um, we've tried to encourage our kids to do things that are scary and uncomfortable for them. Um, where, yeah, if, if there's something that they come up against and they're nervous about it, then we'll encourage them. I mean, obviously, not unsafe things, but encourage them to learn, encourage them to explore, encourage them to push their comfort zone, mm -hmm. push them outside of their comfort zone and do things that that maybe they're scared or, or hesitant to do, you know, with, you know, playing on the playground or even just eating food that they don't want to eat. That's kind of something that in a lot of different aspects, we've, we've encouraged them to, to push themselves and to, to try new things, try scary things. Mm -hmm. I remember, uh, our oldest daughter, she, how old was she when we left active duty and came here to that first drill? Oh, how old was she? So she was like six or seven. Was she that little? Yeah. Oh, wow. So uh, the first drill that I had here, it was a family day, and they had a, a rock climbing wall. And uh, we encouraged her. She started, and she maybe got just a couple of like, I don't know, maybe a foot, two foot off the ground, and she didn't want to do it anymore. And then I looked at her and said, you can do it. So she didn't want to do it at all, but because Daddy <laughs> said she could do it, she was going to do it. And I think she gritted her teeth and she climbed that whole thing. And it must have been 12 feet. Probably. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say 10 or 15. Yeah. So somewhere around there. Um, and boy, she did it. She didn't like it. She did not have fun at all. But, but she did it because I said she could do it. She did it again, a much bigger one at the outdoor show. Yeah. Uh, maybe three, four years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. A much bigger one. And that one she wanted to do. Really? <laughs> yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Kind of funny how that works, right? Yeah. yeah. If you don't pamper them and keep them a little bubble, then yeah, maybe they'll do things. Yeah. And speaking of bubbles, so that's something else. As we've homeschooled our kids and we have been able to tailor the curriculum that, that we've wanted um, and, and teach things that we that think are important, but at the same time, we've always sought out um, different groups, different um, homeschool uh, groups and, and organizations and stuff so that they do get to meet different people and they do get to you know associate with with other kids their age and, and whatnot. And I think too, you know, we had, uh, when we first moved up here, I love homeschool kids. Like I really do. Like we went to a park and we'd never been there before. There was a whole huge group of kids, but it was just like, my kids just melted into all the other kids and there's kids with Nerf guns and there's kids with swords and no one's getting upset and the parents aren't freaking out because Johnny's climbing the ladder too fast. They're just being kids. Mm -hmm. And I think obviously not every homeschool family is the same, but there's just kind of that. that. Well, and that was one, I think, one of our biggest fears, at least mine, leaving active duty. So you're around certain type of people yeah. that are all having a very shared experience where I mean, on an ODA, all the husbands, all the men were together all the time, we're training all the time, we're deploying, and we're offering our lives as a sacrifice on the altar of freedom. You know, even though most of us are coming back just fine, um, yeah. but still we're, we're, we're having that, that shared struggle, that shared uh, sacrifice. And then the families are, are, 
are having that same thing. So all the wives, all the children are all, you know, experiencing that together. And then also Fort Campbell at the time, I guess it doesn't exist anymore, but at the time Fort Campbell had a very large and very active homeschool uh, group organization with like they had a uh, supplemental classes and they all did all it was actually through the the post has like you know an extracurricular arm or whatever mm-hmm. that does like gymnastics classes and karate classes and whatever and they actually set up you know it was once a week and they had a full day of homeschool you know gym and art and all different stuff for the kids it was pretty awesome so leaving that environment i know we were both concerned what are our kids going to be around you know when these families haven't had that same kind of experience. But like you said, those groups, they just, our kids just blended right in. And, you know, they're different, but they were able to be sociable. Yeah. And and I really like, um, in homeschool groups or whatever, you get this a lot. And I think it it echoes what you get in um, large families as well, where you're not, the kids aren't segregated by age. And so you have a 12-year-old who's playing with a 6-year-old and a 7-year-old, but they're all having fun together. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think also our kids have had the experience with they've been around a lot of adults more. And so they're exposed to adult conversation. Not inappropriate conversation, but they're exposed to adults having conversations. And so Mm -hmm. they're learning to have those kinds of conversations on different kinds of topics and things like that. So it's not like they're living in, you know, a little bubble of only people their age that they interact with. It's one of the reasons why I enjoyed taking our kids in when it's appropriate to take them into the team room. Because, you know, we, as as you listeners know, myself, my wife, we're, we're fairly uh, religious, fairly, fairly devout. Um, and uh, but one of the reasons why I wanted my boys um, specifically to come to work with me to get there and to see these other guys because these were good men. The guys in my ODA, even even the, the biggest knuckleheads, they were good men. And I wanted my boys to be exposed to, hey, look, you don't have to be this just because a person is They're not a, prim and proper. Yeah. yeah. You know, super religious like me. Yes. Th- these are good people. And these are good good men to have as role models and, and as friends. And, well, again, that's kind of what sparked this this whole conversation why I wanted to talk with you is – is, is our son um, at the conclusion of the Safawa class after everything was all picked up and he'd worked four of the five days and busted his butt out there? Here's this guy who's law enforcement and took him aside and gave him a coin and thanked him for all of his hard work and acknowledged my 12 year old son that you know you're, you're, you're being a man, you're working like a man, you, you, you know, and, and, and here you go and give him a coin. And that act of a law enforcement professional, a, a man's man, acknowledging my little boy and giving him that, that coin made the world difference. And just, just, that was the greatest thing he could have done to, to, to our, and, and our, the, our guy. And the lesson that he's going to learn from that, the mm-hmm. hard work that he put in and the, the acknowledgement that he got, got for that hard work. Yeah. That, that kind of stuff, that's invaluable. And that's, I've tried to, to bring our, our kids up in and around that, that kind of environment. That's one of the reasons why, um, when we first started instructing, my goodness, almost 10 years ago since we, we left active duty, getting getting pretty close. Um, at first, we, we set up at a lot of gun shows as a way of advertising. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I grew up here in Pennsylvania going to gun shows, and that was one of the environments that uh, um, when the twins were old enough, they were still pretty young, um, 
you know, I allowed them, okay, you two stick together as buddies and, and I let them go wander and go explore in that environment. And then also when we started doing the outdoor shows, yeah. same thing. Here, you guys stick together. And this was before they had phones or anything. Just just go explore. Go go check stuff out. Be respectful. And, and giving them that little bit of trust, knowing that that was a fairly safe environment yeah. is, you know, important. To, I've strived to find those kind of places or locations or or times when, when our kids can be kids like I was and, yeah. and just be trusted to, to go and do something. And I think it's an important almost principle that if you give someone responsibility and you expect them to honor that responsibility, most likely they'll they'll raise yeah. rise to that responsibility. Exactly. If you never expect anything of someone, then they're not going to do anything unless, you know, they do it on their own. But as, as parents, you have to expect things of your kids and you have to give them the opportunity to do it or fail. And that's what's important, too, to know and treat each of your children as an individual. Yeah. So even though we have those twins who, you know. They're well, probably more different than any of our other kids from yes. each other. So then tasking one or giving one a specific responsibility to do something or accomplish something, we'll do it in one way. For one child, where we'll do it differently for the other child. You can't treat them the same or hold them to the same uh same account yeah and then also with with those kids um when you are giving them responsibilities you need to allow them to fail and not destroy them or crush them or crush their souls if if they make a mistake yeah let that be a good teaching moment talk to them about talk it through and then trust them and love them enough to and, to let them have that responsibility yep, again. Exactly. So that then they can learn, well, I failed the first time, but now I'm not going to fail. I'm mm-hmm. not going to make the same mistake. And giving kids those experiences and those opportunities while they're kids, while they have mom and dad who are the safety net. Yeah. Um, so that they have, they learn those lessons when it is safe and they learn those lessons so that they can go out into the world and they don't have to make the hard, big, giant mistakes when, when they're it, mm-hmm. they're the one. Yeah. Absolutely. Man. Parenting's fun. It is. <laughs> it is a privilege and an honor. Yeah, absolutely. So we had three boys. I could handle that. <laughs> and then we had our first daughter. I did not know what to do. I was, I, Still, I guess I, I don't know. I guess I've gotten better. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? Well, you know, they're still your girls. <laughs> mm-hmm. They, you know, they, there's some fingers, you know, that have daddy wrapped around them sometimes. Sometimes. Not all the time. Not all the time. But, you know, that, that's a good example is um, obviously there's a difference. I know I'm going to blow some minds out there. There's a difference between a Y and an X chromosome. There's a oh. difference between a, a boy and a girl. Um, a lot of different things. So I, for the longest time, wouldn't, I didn't have any problems with those three oldest, older boys asking them to do rough things, having them do hard things. Let's go for a run. Let's go for, you know, a ruck. Let's, let, let you know, let's, we're going to be rough. We're going to wrestle and stuff. And uh, I didn't know how to how to treat that that other one, uh, I, our, our I first think, daughter. I think it took some encouragement yeah. for me for a little while. Like, 
let Anna do it. Let she can get in there. Mm-hmm. She can be tough, and she is a tough girl. Yes, yeah, she is. She just jumped in. She did yesterday shotgun a shotgun class, class. and uh, yeah, she smoked it. She yeah. she did a good job. She did a real good job, and that's that's no joke. When I I saw her all you know because I didn't teach it. I just kept checking in, and uh, she was just in there with everybody else running that shotgun. And uh, it wasn't until what we got home that I, I you asked about her shoulder, or asked yeah. about her shoulder. Yeah. Then I saw how black and blue, blue <laughs> was. <laughs> Good for her. That's much much better for her to have that kind of experience and work through that hard thing than cuddling her and not not allowing her. Then that'd be my fault by not allowing her to do hard things or to struggle or to work for something and just, you know, pampering her. And then all of a sudden when I'm no longer around and you're no longer around and uh, she has to face a hard thing, she's not going to be prepared for it. But because we've encouraged her and forced her and all of our kids to to go out of that comfort zone, um, hopefully they'll be able to, to, to face whatever, whatever happens come what may. Yeah. Well, so we've talked it a lot. We've talked at length. Um, and honestly, though, we've only just begun. We could, we could do this forever. Um, just talking about our thoughts and how we, we've taught our children and you know, what a privilege it is and how we, we've held them to account and and stuff. But now let's get back to some of those goals. And, and really, this is all laying the framework to uh, to talk about you know some of those goals we've had about being self-reliant about having food storage, about learning how to defend it and protect yourselves and, uh, and, and things like that. You know, both early on in, in our married life with children, we've talked and we've mentioned a couple of times about the, the home invasions that, that we had where, you know, the one time they busted the window next to, uh, mm-hmm. next to, uh, next to the bed, next to the yeah. bed. And the time when I was away and you had to use it. There were some other times when, uh, when I'm, Thinking about this whole conversation, I can recall one time when we were not the first home, but the second home in, in Fayetteville. Okay. Um, we hear a knock at the door some some evening. So I go open the door, and here's this lady. She's like, uh, may I come in? I'm from whatever, Protective Services. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. So then I step out and shut the door. I was going to let her in my house because <laughs> as soon as she's in our house, what's she going to start doing? She's going to look. She's looking. And I don't care who you are and what home you are as soon as you let them in they can find something if they really are determined and i'm like well, what's this about she says well we got a report of your your wife your wife went to the store today and she left her kids in the car and she went in and then somebody uh, reported her so i'm here i need to check on the welfare of, of your children to make sure they're okay yeah and it did, ended up being well, like i hadn't even been at the store that exactly day or and, something and like then that. that's what i said i like well, no she hadn't been she says well yes she was I'm like, okay, how do you know she was? Well, because the person got a report and said it was her and got their license plate number. What's the license plate number that they took? Well, let's, let's go look at the car. Oh, different <laughs> license plate. I'm sorry, sir. You have a good evening. Yeah, that's right. I'm going to have a good yeah. evening. You, you have a good one too. So in that case, yeah, I, I protected the home. But what are some of the things that we've done that we've worked together as a family? Um, one of the first things I can think of is, is having, you know, those bug out bags or 72 hour kits yeah. and those twins when they were little, um, I actually went down to one of the, uh, um, might've been general Jackson's. I think that's what the place is called yeah, in, in Fayetteville. So. And I bought, uh, there's, um, butt pouches for the old Alice gear. So I bought those, put a name tape on each of them and then 
we got some. Uh, we just got some more straps and some made, straps. made and, straps and, for and, them. and turned them into into little backpacks. So obviously, a three year old boy isn't going to be able to carry everything needed for a seventy two hour kit, but they're able to carry a little bit of food and a little bit of water, while you and I, with our kits, would would have to pick up the slack. But that's something that has been a, a theme for our entire, uh, you know, married life and our family, that when they can and when they're able, we're going to give them a little bit more, a little bit more. Um, to now where almost all the kids have a complete um, 72-hour kit. Well, and we also have some of our older kids are buddies with some of the younger kids. So that our little girls who are only carrying can only carry a little bit. They've got a buddy who's who's carrying the extra stuff for them. Mm-hmm. So with that, we've gone walks with them, gone camping with them. We've uh, have f- fire drills. We've done other yeah, stuff in the house. Fire drills and other drills. Mm-hmm. We've done invader home invader drills. <laughs> yes, we have. The last one we did, I, I prompted the, the the youngest, and it was so cool because I don't think anyone was expecting it. And she walked in and she yelled the uh, the code word, the, the panic word, and then everyone like jumped up and started running and doing their thing. <laughs> Might be time for another one of those. It's been a little while. Yeah, it has been a little while. It's a good idea. Maybe we'll do it tonight. <laughs> um, we'll wait till like eleven thirty. <laughs> <laughs> we've also we've mentioned that at five. That's when we start teaching them to shoot. So we carry. Both of us have carried as long as our children have have been alive. Yeah. And so being in and around firearms and comfortable with firearms and used to firearms has, has been a part of our, our family life. I believe that if you keep firearms a mystery, because it is a mystery, that's when those kids are going to seek it out. And that's when, uh, you know, I don't care, you can do all you want to do to lock things up, but a smart kid is going to find a way. And if it is a mystery, then that's what they want to go to. But instead, whenever kids have been curious, here it is. Let's, let's talk about this, how you treat it safe. And uh, so it's it's no longer a mystery. Yeah. Our youngest, who's not quite five, <laughs> the other day, she said, I'm not allowed to touch real guns. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's right, girl. <laughs> so I guess as we're starting to wrap this up and, you know, wind this podcast down, just some of my thoughts. Why are we taking the time to talk about this when primarily we're talking tactics or guns or training um, and stuff. It's that there is nothing more important than family. One of the reasons why I think that movie Godfather One is so popular is uh, you're hard pressed to find another movie anywhere that teaches and reinforces there's nothing more important than family than than that movie. Um, that's why I do everything that I do. That's why we created this company is because family is so important. I want to take care of my family. I see that this world is getting crazier. And I want to take care of my family. We've experienced hardships. We've experienced violent threats in our family. And because I have experience and Chris Johnson has experience and the other instructors that we have, we have good experience and training. We're passing it on to you. Because nothing is more important than your family. And like I mentioned earlier, you know, all my gunfights, all my experience downrange, that's all just practice for if the real thing ever comes when when I need to employ those skills to protect my family. 
so you brought up a movie and there was a movie that I thought of in thinking about kids and stuff. Um, there's a book called Cheaper by the Dozen where uh, the it's talking about a family of, I think they have 12 kids, which is why it's mm. called Cheaper by the Dozen. Um, there's a movie that came out probably 10 years ago, 15 years ago, where Steve Martin was in it and they had a bunch of kids. And I was so annoyed with the movie because they portray it all as like complete chaos. Just like everyone's doing their own thing and it's complete chaos. And I'm sitting there thinking, that's not how big families work. Uh, you know, the older kids are taking care of the younger kids. They're working together as a unit. Like that's how it should work. It's not, it's not chaos. So talking about everything's for your family and teaching your family, it's so that you can work together. And if you don't have kids, if you don't have close family, then you can build that with, with friends or whatever and teach and learn together and build that together. We just happen to have a big family. And so we have this ready-made unit that we can teach our kids and Mm -hmm. we can make that, that unit that's cohesive, that works together. And and thinking again, you know, why does our relationship, why does our family work as well as it does? It's because it's not about me. I'm putting you and I'm putting the kids first. And in you, it's not about you. You give selflessly um, to me and to our kids. And you know, I mentioned my one sister, not by name, but I'm thinking about her again. Um, I know there's a lot of reasons why marriages don't work. And a lot of times it's not an individual's fault. They might have done everything that they could possibly do. But being around their relationship and they got, you know, their marriage didn't work. It's very clear to anyone who kind of knows either of them that in his case it was all about him and in my sister's case it was all about her yeah her husband and her kids came second and and his you know his wife and his kids came second it was all about him and if you want that relationship and i don't think there's anything i haven't experienced anything greater than than family um being on a good ODA is a very, very close second, mm-hmm. very close second, but but not uh, but but not quite. Um, you have to give selflessly. You got to put everyone else ahead of yourself, and if you can do that, man, there's nothing that uh and, that, and, that you can't face. And let me add also that it's not just giving willy nilly of yourself for mm-hmm. for no purpose. Like there's a common goal. There's we we have a purpose in mind, and. Um, we're working towards those common goals together. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, because you're right. A person can just you, give, 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 and, and then just become abused yeah. by, by doing that. Yes, you're, you're spot on. You have to have self-respect as well. Yes. If you don't have that self-respect, then, yeah, you're not helping anybody or doing anything. Cool. Anything else you want to add? This podcast is a little bit different than I, than I guess I was originally intending, but I think it's it's pretty good. Um you know, I mentioned it earlier, and I, I'll mention it now. Um, the other thing that is really rock solid in our relationship is our, our faith in God and our devotion to, you know, we're imperfect. Obviously, we're imperfect. But through faith in God, um, it has really strengthened our marriage and has helped us stay unified. Those times when... Um, Specifically, when I've been away, I've been deployed, and we have been a world away, 
but we made the time to pray at the same time, even though we're a world away. Um, Things like that, that's invaluable. There's nothing that can replace that, I think. Yeah, nothing. So I encourage you to, uh, those of you listening, if that's something that's lacking in your relationship uh, with your, your significant other, bring God into it. And uh, it will only help and strengthen and make better what's already good. Anyways, anything else there, babe? Nope. Nope. Well, this is definitely an interesting podcast. And uh, in some ways, one could argue maybe it's the most important one that we've done so far. Because everything that I do, all the training, all the shooting, all the land nav, everything is all so that I can help support and protect my family. There's nothing more important than my family. There shouldn't be anything more important in your life than your family. All right. Well, thank you for listening. And uh, next week should be tons of fun. We're going to be on the road. We're going to be uh, training a federal team. And we're taking our uh, taking our radio with us, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna try some some on the road uh, recording and some podcasts. We'll see how that turns out. Um, thank you for listening, and uh, you guys keep your powder dry. We'll, we'll talk to you next time. You spend time with your family? Sure, I do. Good, because a man who doesn't spend time with his family can never be a real man.